0: Emotional literacy, zones of regulation, and family talk. Some thoughts ahead of the Christmas break. Hello, parents, and welcome. I just thought I'd put down a few thoughts ahead of the Christmas break around the whole area of sort of emotional literacy, oracy, and really thinking about the opportunity that we have with our children over the break, when we're spending lots of time with them. And really, I was thinking about how optimal that can be and thinking about all of the material that we've reviewed over the past year and tooled up around the area of emotional literacy and sort of collating that and thinking it through and putting down a sort of key tips, really, that I wanted to convey to parents in this particular area. If you're a regular tooled-up user, you'll know we've recently interviewed big heavyweights in this area, like Professor Mark Brackett at Yale, author of Permission to Feel. We've also previously done webinars with the clinical psychologist, Dr. Anna Colton, on things like managing children's anger. And out of that sort of material, we've developed a whole range of tools that children can use to help them reflect on how they're feeling, and critically to develop some coping ideas that they can use and get used to using as they grow and develop. I've also been privy to seeing some really lovely work going on across our tooled up school community in this area. And I wanted to just pull together some of those thoughts after viewing the initiatives and ideas that are being used and adopted in schools. So parents will know that one of our main philosophies within Tooled Up is that parents and schools work together in partnership. And it's our job really within Tooled Up to create as much alignment as we can for the benefit of children. So I thought it was a good idea to think sort of ahead of the holiday season when we will be spending that extra time with our children, just to develop some little goals in terms of emotional literacy and to really think about the importance in general of what is called family talk oracy and its relationship to children's mental health and well-being. Terms sort of like emotional literacy, emotional regulation, or even oracy, they might sound complicated, but in essence, they're about helping children name, recognize emotions, articulate when they're feeling sad, happy, or anywhere in between, and developing active coping skills to put into their sort of psychological rucksack for the life journey ahead. It might seem complicated as an area, but what I've learned from research in this area is that emotional literacy matters not just for the promotion of better mental health, helping children regulate emotions, et cetera, but it can also really enhance their academic work and their achievement. And that's also something that may not be obvious to parents. So I'm going to sort of simplify what we kind of need to do, could do. In this area. But before I do that, I just wanted to dwell a little bit on why schools focus on these ideas as well. Often, schools focus on things like emotional literacy because teachers know that a child's thoughts and feelings can impact on their behavior, their learning in the classroom. So it's recognized that a little emotional literacy and expression can help children become less frustrated, upset, distressed at the slightest thing, and able to tell someone when they're struggling as well. So schools are often attempting to create a culture, a classroom, an environment where children feel able to name emotions and to really understand that emotions are very much like the weather. You know, they shift and change over the day, over the week. And you may have seen in some very innovative settings, you know, when a child enters a classroom, for example, and they might touch a particular spot on the wall or place a marble in a particular colored zone that marks their mood in that moment. So these sorts of zones can help often support self-regulation skills, especially when children work as a group. Self-regulation is really the process of a person using their own thoughts, feelings, and actions as a means to manage or integrate or assess their own behavior. All of those zones that we might see you know, posted up in schools, happy, sad, angry zone, whatever it's called, they're all okay. It's okay to feel the way you feel. and that's one of the main messages within that sort of material. In one lovely school that I was I, I saw a school had emblazoned on the wall. There are a minion ways to feel and they had beautifully incorporated the metaphor of minions and used that sort of visual language in a meaningful way and using characters that were particularly, you know well known and recognized within that lovely cinematic form. And I think that's really, really interesting. This sort of approach indicates to children, you know, that teachers in school care about how they feel, that other children can also experience that rainbow of emotions and feel a little bit up or down. So it's less isolating. And by giving children schools that really focus on giving children a rich emotional vocabulary, really those children will be able to better verbalize and explain what's going on for them. So really, schools that sort of have this approach and care about how children are thinking and feeling, it's not just for their mental health. They're sort of setting the foundations where children are able to understand their own thoughts and their own thinking. And that does have an impact again, not just in terms of mental health, but also in terms of, you know, they're developing their metacognition, their ability to think about their thinking, and that can also have a big impact on learning. So it's all good. These are good things that schools are doing. Beyond this, I think when schools help children think through options, when it comes to improving their mood through various strategies, it gives children an enormous sense of agency in their lives and, you know, you will probably be familiar with one of our most popular resources in Tooled Up called the Coping Menu. We have designed that very much to match what schools are doing in this area. So you might go into your school and see on the wall. Children have thought about things that they can do to help themselves feel better. You know, speak to a friend, play in the playground, listen to music. We've actually created a whole resource that families can also use. In that regard, to match what school's doing and to create that lovely sense of alignment. And I'd really encourage you as a family to look at that coping menu resource, stick it out, practice it, look at it, stick it on your notice board at home and really get children practicing. And we can model as well how we use the coping menu. That's one of the greatest things I think you could do in terms of early intervention around mental health, just making sure all of our children are conscious of the actions that they can take themselves in their lives in order to sort of work through and process emotions a little bit better. I've also seen children using the lovely ideas that they have picked up at school and bringing them back into family life. So don't be surprised if your child comes back and talks about zones or they're in the green zone or the yellow zone, or they might talk about They might bring that language essentially back to family life. And if anything, younger children love teaching parents things that they've been learning in school. So a very lovely idea, certainly with younger children, is to ask them to be the teacher and to teach you things about what they're doing in this area at school. That can be a very lovely exercise. It can also consolidate for them what they've picked up and what they've learned and give them a lovely sense of agency that they can teach the whole family something about emotions and coping as well. As children learn the language of emotional literacy, as I've pointed out, it also enhances their literal literacy. So if they can say something, eventually they're probably very likely to write it as well. So let's give a little bit more thought to oracy, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but when you spend a prolonged period of time with children on holiday, have you ever noticed that when you come back from holiday, they're often very much more articulate? And that is because that's the mechanism of that parent-child dialogue. You're really seeing the fruits of that. And it can be something, it sounds terribly simple, but there is a little bit to know about oracy and a little bit about understanding our role in those dialogues with our children and the importance of sort of helping them elaborate on their thoughts as well. So oracy, when I refer to it, that's really the ability to talk, articulate ideas, communicate them effectively. And when we're thinking about developing children's oracy, we might just think about them becoming more socially confident or being able to put their hand up in class a little bit more. And that's true, but really, skills of oracy are hugely important for children's social and emotional development in a much wider capacity. If a child is able to express their emotions, communicate how they feel about everything, and if we can do what we can in family life to develop their voice, it's also incredibly self esteem boosting. And that has an impact, obviously, on their emotional resilience and on academic outcomes as well. We know that high self esteem predicts resilience. And parents are always amazed to hear that the amount of dialogue that goes on in our homes is one of the greatest predictors of academic attainment. Isn't that exciting to know that we have the sort of the power to affect so much in those wonderful natural conversations with our children? As you are aware, you've probably maybe listened to a podcast that we did within Tooled Up with a researcher called Mayotra from Cambridge. She was talking about the fact that spending time together with our children around that dinner table, we know that talking, sharing stories, reflecting on what's going on in our lives, it can really help lower the risk of anxiety and depression. These are children who are less likely to internalize their feelings. So in terms of mental health, it's very beneficial. However, concomitantly, if we can also help them acquire new vocabulary, extend their thinking and developing their articulacy, we're sort of hitting two birds with one stone. And that's why we asked philosopher Peter Worley to give us some quick resources within Tooled Up to help parents think about how to make those conversations as enriching as possible. Philosophers are actually very adept at effective questioning So Peter gives us tips for asking open questions that lead to what's called higher order thinking. Again, sounds complicated, but it isn't. It's just about asking the right sort of question. And one of the wonderful things that he underlines and which also interestingly correlates with what we know from mental health research is the importance of remaining curious. If we can remain curious about what our children are thinking and saying and sort of Show that and say, Gosh, that is interesting. Tell me more. You know, it's one of the greatest things we can say to our children. We don't have to have the answers, but by getting them to elaborate, reflect, say a little bit more, we are really, really enriching their thinking. We can also, if you're familiar with the literature on relational coaching, stay curious about their body language how they're coming across, you might say, gosh, I'm noticing that you seem quite tense in your body when you talk about, you know, that particular person, or I can see you're becoming a little bit upset. I can see how excited that book has made you. So just noticing those things and helping them think about the language that they use to convey their feelings. So they might say they're devastated that they have pee tomorrow. Well, that's an interesting word to choose. Is that accurate? So paying attention to our use of language as a family is very important. The dinner table is essentially the engine room of resilience, of language acquisition, and a safe place, very importantly, a safe place for entertaining our thoughts, whatever they are, sharing crazy ideas, exchanging all sorts of you know views in that safe space. It's also, by the way, a wonderful place for siblings to iron out differences, talk about stuff, disagree, but along the way we're teaching them how to do that, hopefully very constructively. Reading to our children, you know, with our children, talking about what they're reading can carry equal weight in terms of developing oracy and emotional literacy. So don't rush through books. Take time, pay attention not just to stories, but also to the language used, the emotional life of the characters, how they might be feeling. Has your child ever felt like that? What zone is that character in? You can hear we're both developing literacy skills and their empathy as we put ourselves in another person's shoes. If we come across metaphors, you might take time to dwell on those, collate examples of metaphors that convey emotion. So you might read, you know, that the character, a red misdescended as they became angrier and angrier. And you might just stop and say, gosh, that's an interesting metaphor. Can we think of other ways to describe anger? By the way, we have a lovely resource on that as well called Describing Anger in Tooled Up. Language can be therefore integral to emotional expression. And it's really good to recognize that and to nurture that within family life. If you've got older children who and you're not engaged with their reading at night for example you know you can still if you're watching TV together watching a movie try and just think about drawing attention to emotions and how they're conveyed and even the use of language in things that you're watching and I'm not talking about having big massive discussions just paying attention to those things and And just, again, asking lovely, open questions to your child, that means a question that doesn't just get a no or yes answer. And it takes a little bit of practice to really get them to elaborate. So in summary, tips for parents, the festive season, the holidays together as we wind down and get ready for relaxation. First of all, you and I could experience such a wide variety of emotions in one day. Christmas Festive breaks, they can be very stressful and we're only human and we need to pay attention to our feelings as they are windows into our thoughts and perspectives that we hold as well. So here are a whole list of tips for you. I would suggest parents, myself included, we need to check in with how we're feeling. Often at the end of term, at the beginning of Christmas, we can feel really quite stressed. And I think an app that I would very much recommend that I use myself, developed by Mark Brackett at Yale, is how we feel. Just try practicing. It's a free app. It's evidence-based. You just download it, have it on your phone, and it just helps you to check in with how you're doing, thinking, and feeling over Christmas. And then beautifully (laughs) provides analytics on your mood and my mood over a period of time and very critically provides gorgeous little training videos, very short videos, just helping us navigate and regulate our own emotion. So you can hear if we work on ourselves first, it's very likely that our children will benefit from those sorts of approaches. So that app is called How We Feel. Good luck with it. I also think we need to be curious about our own feelings. You know, why am I feeling like this? And be an emotion scientist. Don't be an emotion judge, as Mark Brackett says. Be open, be curious, be reflective. Don't be critical of yourself or others. Try and be open and very curious about what's going on. As we step away from work into home life over Christmas, try and create some very strong delineations between those different zones. And that might be closing your laptop, putting it away, creating out of office boundaries for yourself. You know, what is it that will allow you to step into holiday parent mode as opposed to work mode. Try and be honest with your children. So you might say, gosh, I'm feeling a little bit anxious about making the Christmas dinner. You know, what can I do to help myself feel less anxious? Well, I might, your child will say, mommy, you could make a list or daddy, you could ask me to help or whatever it is in that regard. So don't be afraid to be honest with them. If you're worried about how your child is feeling, don't assume anything. So maybe they look a little bit down or a little bit upset on breakup from school, you know, or worried about the Christmas holidays. Perhaps they're spending it in different contexts. Always try and validate how they're feeling. If they tell you I'm worried about Christmas, I I don't want to go to grandma's, whatever it is. Just say I can understand that. Tell me a little bit more. And it's very important we don't minimize how children are feeling, that we're not dismissive or promise to fix everything. Get talking. If you do have an anxious child, use the tools in the tooled up library, the breathing exercises that we've developed with Anna Colton on managing anxiety, the drawing ideas, the mood thermometer, and the resource that we've got for helping you identify triggers for anxiety as well. Before you sort of fire off an email or you know get cross with our parents or something on a phone call, just take what Mark Bracket calls a meta moment. So just reflect on how you're feeling, how you're doing, and how you might regret how you might react. So just take a moment to think and pause. I've often been asked if parents can or should replicate approaches like zones of regulation that children, you know, are used to during the school year at home. I think it's very useful to refer to frameworks that children as I've said use in school and just maybe children have something to add to those discussions at home and you might choose to have discussions about what they do in school and what they how they apply it over the christmas break try and make your conversations with your children count we want them to elaborate on their ideas extend their vocabulary what's a better word for that or you know don't be afraid to gently model a different way of saying something conversations can help consolidation you know, Neil Mercer, as I said, reading and writing flow on a sea of talk, he quotes in the podcast that I've done with him. And so focusing on arguing well, oracy, all of those things will motivate the sort of inquiry that we want our children to sort of go down. Also, I think that for younger children, over the holidays. Things like laughter, play, adventurous play, all of these things can help children regulate emotion. So try and spend some time in the playground. Younger children also enjoy drawing, imaginative play, puppetry, painting, dance. All of these things are lovely avenues for expressing emotion. And during the year, we may not have a lot of time to spend doing those things. Games, board games, all of those things can really help children develop emotional intelligence, literacy, winning, losing those experiences and talking through, you know, if they storm off after a game of Monopoly. Those are all opportunities to talk to our children again about how they're feeling and just validating and teaching them in those moments about just regulating that emotion as much as possible. We've all witnessed the World Cup I've been watching it and thinking, wow, there are live lessons in emotional literacy. We've seen you know, Messi cry. We've seen Ronaldo sobbing. We've seen the reaction of tears when we're disappointed. And that's a good thing. It's good for our children to see that that people can be vulnerable, even adults, even world footballers. And vulnerability is really the gateway to courage, to learning, and to resilience. Whenever you spot behavior or an attitude or an approach that you love to see in your children, always comment on it. So remember, your children will be saying things, behaving well over the holidays as well. So make sure you say, gosh, you know, well done. You know, I've really noticed you being very, very kind towards your sibling or thank you so much for helping me today or thank you for talking to me. I really, really enjoy talking to you and show them that you love and value their views and take time to be together in ways that matter to them. Lastly, over Christmas, it's very normal for sleep patterns and routines to go out the window. Just a little word of caution, less sleep, sleep deprivation. All of those things can contribute to poorer emotional regulation, sometimes to heightened anxiety, agitation, and can even affect memory, concentration, and mood. So maybe, just maybe, think about maintaining and sustaining good sleep routines over the festive period Maybe not Christmas Eve for those of us waiting for Santa, but try and make sure we enjoy the time with our children in ways that feel mood enhancing and genuinely good for everyone's mental health and well being. On that note, I wish you all a relaxing, happy Christmas and a lovely break. And I hope to see you all and speak to you within Tooled Up in 2023. Bye bye.